Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 20, we'll be starting in verse 18 this morning. The title of today's message is Drawing Near to God. Now, which of us men, and Shane, you'll get used to this sooner or later, um, which of us men have had the experience of going Christmas shopping at a mall with your family? Anybody here? Okay. As a father of young girls, I found out very early that the only reason that I get to go with my wife and my girls Christmas shopping was to deal with the traffic, to be the driver, and to hold their bags. That was my whole job in the mall during Christmas with my family. And so I sat outside the store with all the other men and I people watched. And I remember that one of these times and one of these outings at my mall, my ladies were in a store looking at clothes and I'm sitting on the bench watching the kids line up in the area right outside of Santa's village. You ever see one of these Santa villages in the mall? They're all decked out with reindeer and sleighs and Christmas trees and everything and the kids line up all the way around it and they're getting ready to go see Santa Claus who's, who's behind this big curtain and they're excited to get to sell Santa all their wishes and their desires for the most best and sought after gifts that Christmas season and you see the excitement and the volume of the kids it gets louder and louder and louder the closer and closer they get to Santa and be able to sit on his lap and the little kids their necks are craning their, their parents are holding them and they're looking over the place to see if they can see behind the curtain to see Santa and that finally they get up there and the moment comes and they, the elves they pull aside the curtain and let them in and there's this big fat guy sitting on a uh, throne almost back there and big beard and everything he's like ho 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 holding out his hands to the, to the little kid and and there's invariably it seems like there's three reactions 80% of the kids freak out they lose their minds. They start crying. They, they, they run behind their parents. Or You see like the kids that are being held, they try to crawl over the top of their parent's shoulder and, and crawl down their back to, to get away from this big guy yelling ho, ho, ho at them. And, and they're, they're, they're just really freaked out by it. Some of these kids even run behind their parents and kind of push their parents for them and say, Mommy, Daddy, you, you go tell Santa what I want. I'm not going to go anywhere near that guy. He's, he's just too big. He's too scary. His voice is too deep. And I don't want anything to do with him. And when I started studying the scripture we're going to look at today, it reminded me kind of these kids in line to see Santa. You see, children have an idea of what Santa was, but not who he is. And they understood the benefits of knowing Santa. I mean, after all, Santa's a great guy. He brings them presents. But they really didn't want to know him on a personal level. They didn't want to go climb up into his lap and speak to him. And some of these children still wanted the gifts, but they wanted someone else, wanted their parents to go ask Santa for their gifts. And that is the crux, the, the modern day summary of the biblical account that we're going to be reading today. Now the background for today's message is that God has just spoken the Ten Commandments to the people. And the Ten Commandments was like God holding out his arms to his children and saying, come up into my lap and get to know me. Get to know me as something other than your deliverer. Get to know me as something as other than your savior. Get to know me as something other than the liberator from Egypt. Come and get to know me for who I really am. And the commandments were God saying, this is who I am at the deepest level. 
Come and experience me in all of my fullness. And the Hebrews are acting just like the children in the mall when they encounter God. And it's with this thought in mind that I want to read Exodus 20, verse 18 through 21. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this view of history where we got to see a people's reaction to you that must have broken your heart. And I ask, Father, that you use this scripture to make us a people who draw near to God like Moses instead of running away from you as the people did. Father, because you desire intimacy with your people. You desire us to draw near. So through this message this morning, let us see the ways that we can do that and the things that hinder us from wanting to do that. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Now today's scripture summarizes the entire message of the Bible. Through all those books, through all those chapters, through all the history of Israel, we consistently see a humanity that resists the call of God to draw near to him. And eventually God provides that solution to that situation of people wanting to run away from him with the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to explore the reasons that we resist drawing near to God. And then we're going to look at a couple or a few of the things that we do to avoid it. And finally we're going to look at God's solution to this problem. So we're going to begin with the reasons that people are afraid to draw near to God or afraid to be intimate with God. And the number one reason is fear. Now there are two kinds of fear. There's a fear that causes you to run away from something, and there's a fear that causes you to deal with something or someone very carefully. My grandfather discovered early on that I have a fear of heights, which most people find amazing because of everything I do in my life, I have a, I'm actually very afraid of heights. And every, so every chance that he got when we were out hiking in northern Wisconsin or hiking to find a fishing spot, he would make me look over a cliff if he could find one and make me deal with my fear. He'd make me walk right up to the edge and look down and stand there until I wasn't scared anymore. Because he told me that part of being a man is being able to face your fears and not be afraid. And he would do that with me. He said, it's not a bad thing to be afraid as long as you're able to face it and overcome it. And that's what being a man was all about. And I carried that idea with me when I got a job at Great America. Everybody here knows what a Great America is? Giant amusement park. It's like bigger than Whitehall. I mean, to walk across this park, it would be like walking across two different Whitehalls. And there's these huge rides, huge roller coasters in them. And when I applied for the job, they asked me where I wanted to work. And I thought about it. I said, well, I can do groundskeeping. 
I mean, I heard they have the best after parties. If you wanted to go to a, a rocking party after work, you hung with the grounds people. And to an 18-year-old kid, that sounds pretty good, especially when it didn't know God. I could have done games. There are a lot of good-looking girls in games. And that's pretty attractive to an 18-year-old uh, boy, too. I could have done food. Obviously, I love to eat. So that was fairly attractive also. But I chose to do rides. And in fact, I said, I don't want to do the little kitty rides. I don't want to do the rides that spin around in a circle. I don't want to do the rides that just stay on the ground. I want you to put me on the tallest, fastest, scariest roller coasters out there. I want to be the guy that's 100 feet in the air if something goes wrong. And the guy said, that's just so unusual. I never get people who want to work the coasters because it's so scary because you have to, you have to maintain them and, and walk them and check them for things. And if there's an emergency, you have to climb up sometimes 30, 40 stories in the air and you're sitting on this little gangplank swaying in the wind and you know there's just that little rail to keep you from falling to your death and telling everybody to stay in their cars and making sure everybody's safe. And I said, and he said, so you're not afraid of heights at all? I said, well, actually, I'm terrified of heights. I said, but I will face my fear, and I guarantee you I'll be the first one up there if something goes wrong. I said, I want to be there. I want to face my fear. And back then, it was probably a little bit of bravado talking, a little bit of machoism on my part, but it was a continuation of my grandfather's lesson about fear. And I know that most people can't face their fears like that, and, and I'm not downing you if you can't. Because if I said the word spider, most people are going to kind of shudder. They're going to be like, oh, spiders. If I say the word snakes, most people are going to cringe and, 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 and draw back. And if I say right now I see a mouse running up, up under the chairs, everybody's going to pull their feet up and want to climb up on their chairs. And that's how people, even those, and sometimes that's how people, even those who surrender to Jesus, treat God. They see God as this mighty being. They see the lightning and they cringe. They see the thunder and they cower. They feel the weight of his presence and they want to run. And the fear that Moses is talking about here is not a fear that makes you run. When he said that God is putting his fear in you to, see, to keep you from sinning, it's not a fear that makes you want to run away. It's a fear that makes you want to be very careful and prepare to meet your God, to walk carefully before God. Part of firefighting training is learning ladders, and you learn ladders by raising and climbing up three and a half stories. So you raise an extension ladder up three and a half stories, and then you have to take another ladder, carry that up the three and a half story ladder, and place that on the roof and climb from that ladder to that ladder and climb all the way up to the roof. It's about four stories by the time you get done with everything. And you're doing it all while wearing your full gear, all 40, 50 pounds of your gear. And my first time up that ladder, in firefighting school in Kenosha, I was shaking. I was just one rung at a time going up the ladder saying, just the next rung, just the next rung, just the next rung, just the next rung. And I slowly, I got to the, the top and now I have, to climb, I have to put this ladder up. I got the ladder hooked and now I have to go from this ladder to this ladder and it's, you know, you're three and a half stories up. So now I'm trying to kind of grab and get up on that and I got up on that 
and I finally get up to the top of the ladder, then the next guy comes up the ladder, you got to transition, so he's got to crawl over, almost over the top of you and past you, so you're hanging off the ladder like this, so he can get past you, get to the top, and now i got to go down. So I got to the bottom of the roof ladder, now I have to transition from the bottom of the roof ladder to the extension ladder, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I'm looking at this going, and the instructor's at the top of the roof, and I'm like, like this, I look at this, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, can I just come up and get off the ladder onto the platform where you are? And he's like, nope. He goes, you're going to be a firefighter, you have to go down that ladder. And he said, okay, just take your foot, find the ladder wrong, step down, take your other hand once you get that. And he explained just how to get back down on that. And my voice is shaking a little bit right now because I'm still thinking and living it. It's kind of scary. And once I fi finally figured out how to do it, I then didn't have any more problems with ladders because I knew what I had to do and I had the confidence in the procedures that I had to follow to be safe, all while respecting the potential danger of working where you're high up off the ground. And that's the kind of fear that Moses is referring to here in Exodus. It's about taking a moment of pause and make you really think about what you're about to do. It's a fear that makes you be careful so that you don't get hurt or cause hurt to others. But too many people have the other, the spiritually unhealthy and wrong fear reaction when it comes to God. And usually that's for two reasons. And the first reason for that kind of wrong reaction to God is guilt. They know that they have sinned. And they fear God's reaction to their sin. So they avoid God and anything having to do with God. Just, I compare it to, you remember growing up and your father's away at work and you've done something wrong and your mother says, just wait until your father gets home. Remember that kind of fear that struck your hearts at that point because now you know you're not going to be happy to see dad come home. Usually most kids are happy to see their dad come home from work. Hey, daddy, daddy, daddy. Now daddy's coming home as the judge. Now daddy's going to come home and mete out some punishment. And that's the way that people are looking at God. And that's part of what's happening here in Exodus. You see, these people here are guilty of breaking these very laws that God has just thundered at them. Perhaps even that day. So their reaction is lightning, thunder, huge loud voice, sound of the trumpets, this incredibly sensory overload situation they're in. And now God's telling them, don't do this, and do this, and don't do that, and do this. And, and they're freaking out, and, and, they're, and they're wanting to run from this thing. And Moses pleads with them to come close that God wants to test them. And what kind of test is God commanding? God wants them to come close. And the reason why God wants you to come close, even if you're in this condition of, of being guilty of, of sinning and doing wrong things, is to let the fire of his presence reveal to them the reason for their fear. And the reason for that fear is because within each one of us, no matter how holy we think we are, there is a love of sin. Despite ourselves, there is often a love of of sin. We love to do things that God tells us not to do. Jesus himself boiled down the entire problem with humanity like this in John chapter 3 verse 19. He said, this is Jesus talking, this is the judgment. 
the light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. When we read the words of Jesus, we think, doesn't this summarize what it means to be human? Think about that. Think about all the evil. Think about all the bad, all the hurt, all the pain, all the selfishness that we have within us. And it makes perfect sense when you consider it's all because we love our pet sin. And we love our pet sins more than we love the truth. And we love them more than we love God. We avoid intimacy with our fathers for intimacy with a thing. It's like saying, I want a McDonald's burger when somebody has offered to take you out to Red Lobster and, and get a steak and shrimp or, or steak and lobster. It's like we're going to settle for fast food when we have a banquet set before us in God's timing and God's, God's provision. Some of the ways that we avoid intimacy with God. Sin is what prevents us from having that true, deep relationship with God. In the Hebrew mindset at this point in their history, they define sin as man's attempt to avoid intimacy with God through focusing on something created instead of focusing on the creator. And that definition still fits us today. Sin is focusing on what this world has to offer you for pleasure or offer you for fulfillment or offer you to feel secure instead of focusing on what God has already provided for you in his kingdom. In other words, we focus on what the devil is peddling instead of what God has already purchased for us. We buy the lie that, that says there's something that is found outside of an infinite God that will fulfill us more than anything that he has provided or offer to give us. And for us in the church, one of the ways that we avoid true intimacy with God, we're just going to bring this home right to us right now, is that we choose to have a religion over a relationship. And that's what Moses is dealing with here. And let me show you this in the scripture that we read in the beginning. In Exodus 20, it says that they, the people, stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him might be before you, that you may not sin. And verse 21 is one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. It said that the people stood far off, while Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. That's what religion is. Religion is sending a Moses to meet with God for you. Religious pla religion places a man and a woman between you and God. Religion places a ritual before the relationship that God wants to have with you. Religion puts the created before the creator. Religion puts dead works before a living presence. And religion will give you a bunch of do's and don'ts before what Jesus said is done. Let me illustrate this a little further with just a little bit of an uncomfortable truth. Why are we shocked when a Christian 
or even a pastor sins. Just ask yourself, why are we shocked when a Christian or a pastor sins? You know, I've been in ministry since 1999. Since then, I've been around some of the biggest names in Christianity, particularly the biggest names within our own fellowship. So people that I've met, some of these people are people that we would go down to Florida or up to Toronto or, or travel all over the country just to be able to sit in a church service that they were going to be ministering in. Do you know that I found every single one of them, what I found in them when the lights were off, when they were off stage, and now they were just sitting with me and some of the other local church leaders? I saw a sinner saved by grace. I saw a person with the same fears, the same flaws, the same imperfections, the same doubts, and everything else that I struggle with on a daily basis. And the best of them would say, I am a man or a woman that needs Jesus even more today than I did yesterday. I saw a man or a woman that as close as they seem to be to God, that no matter how much of God's presence and anointing flowed through them, they would tell you they needed more and more and more and more and more of God's grace every single day with every breath they draw just to maintain their own faith and own relationship with God, much less go out and preach to thousands. I had one tell me, the closest you get to a source of a light, the brighter it appears. Our Christian life is like driving down a dark highway toward a large city. We see the lights in the distance that get brighter and brighter as you get closer and closer until everything is revealed. It's like driving toward a truck that forgets to turn down their brights. You see it coming in the distance and it's not so bad. It gets closer and closer to you and the light just gets blinding and all you can see is try to, try to look at the white line over here to keep yourself on the road at night. It becomes so bright that everything in your car is lit up and you see everything perfectly as you would in the middle of the day. That is what our Christian life is like as we get closer and closer and closer to God. It reveals more and more and more what is really inside of us. Religion would tell you, to treat me, tell you to treat me or any other pastor like Israel is treating Moses. You go and you spend time with God. You go, pastor. You tell us what he has to say. You go ahead and sacrifice and work for the kingdom. And then come back and tell us what he wants. You come back and tell us what he wants you to do. This forms a dead religion. It takes what Jesus did and puts it all on one person instead of spreading it out and everybody being a priesthood of the Holy Spirit. This is why religion and relationship with God in America is dying. This is why America is really the no, no longer the worldwide seat of Christianity. I said something provocative on my Twitter feed. I said, you cannot call America exceptional if America is not Christian. And I got a lot of response to that on Twitter that people thought I was crazy. But I, I said, if we're no longer the worldwide seat of Christianity, how can we be exceptional? The revival in the 90s were probably God's last attempt to get America on its knees in repentance and praying for revival. And I think the lampstand of Christianity has now moved off our shores. I think it resides probably in Asia, among the Chinese and the Koreans. 
You ever wonder why there's so much threat all of a sudden of destruction on South Korea? I think that's where their worldwide seat of Christianity is right now. I mean, after all, they're the ones sending missionaries to us right now. They're seeing America as the great place that needs to be evangelized. And it's because so many of us Americans, so many of us who call ourselves Christians, have traded a vital relationship with Jesus Christ for just a shallow Sunday experience, which they forget about 30 seconds after they walk out the door here. And I'm going to tell you to it straight, if you were depending on a Moses, if you're depending on a pastor or a priest or imam or whatever you want to call your religious leader to get you closer to God and gain his favor, you're doomed. Jesus Christ came to save you personally. Jesus Christ came to save you and to use you personally. And that brings us to our last point. Sinful man who loves his religion but shuns a relationship will always run from a true encounter with God. And that is why Jesus is the only way. Jesus was God's answer to what is happening here in Exodus. Our fallen sinful nature says to run from God. Jesus says, let me bring you to God. That no one comes to the Father but through me. And that if you have me in your life, I will draw you to the Father. Our fallen sinful nature says, you know, take what you want in life. Do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. Jesus says, I will give you everything. I will give you all that I have. Our fallen sinful nature says, run and hide. And Jesus says, come and see. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. But this is not something that we can do in our own strength. That's why God, even to get you into the Lamb's book of life, to get you into salvation, allows his very essence, the Holy Spirit, to come and weigh heavily in your heart, to enable a fallen sinful creature to desire Jesus. That is why Jesus said you must be born again. Jesus said that flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. And that a person must be born again on a spiritual level. What he's saying here is that you can't trust religion. You can't trust a pastor to do it for you or any other religious leader to save you. Because all must appear at the judgment seat. And that we will stand there alone. God will bring every deed into judgment, whether good or evil. God's fire will test your work. And anything not done with the surrendering and leading and empowering of God will burn up. And unless you have surrendered your life to Jesus, everything you have done in life will just be an ash heap that you're standing in waiting for the Father to pronounce his judgment over. That's why Jesus emphatically says you must be born again. He says it twice in a row in John 3, 3 and 3, 5. And if you surrender to Jesus, he will give you a new heart, a heart that yearns after God and runs to God when he senses his presence, a new spirit, one that hates sin and loves righteousness. And he'll give you new attitudes called the Beatitudes that we'll be studying in a, in, uh, starting next week. But first, you have to surrender to him. You have to be born again. Let's rise.